0: How to Tell Stories to Children is a bi weekly podcast exploring the science and methodology of storytelling.
1: I am Silka Rose West. And I am Joseph Saracy. We are the authors of How to Tell Stories to Children.
0: Our goal is to foster diverse storytelling by helping individuals like you awaken to the storyteller within. In the town of Ainsley, there was a great mystery. The townspeople had long had a gift for telling stories, playing tricks and laughing so hard their bellies hurt. They were a simple but happy people, and they left the town a spectacular legacy, the storytelling tree. Today, some say it never existed, but we know that's not true for one simple reason. Children still find them. Chances are, there is a storytelling tree in your backyard this very moment. It may even be peeking in your window as you listen. Don't worry, they're friendly. Sometimes you find one at the park, a little way off by itself. Silent, patient, waiting for just the right child. Others have been spotted deep in the forest, surrounded by the crinch, crunch, crinch of old leaves. One was even found growing between a crack in the pavement. That's because storytelling trees grow everywhere. You just have to know how to find them. Some are tall and straight like a pine. Others grow crooked and bent like an old oak. No matter. That's what they tell that's important. The Ainsley tree, as the first came to be called, grew in a large meadow, 25 meters tall with a trunk as thick as a barn. No one could remember exactly how it got there, or precisely who had planted it, but everyone in town knew their great-great-great-grandparents had something to do with it. Its roots were said to be 350 years old. Not even the largest family in Ainsley, a mother and father with 12 lanky children, could wrap their arms around the trunk of that great old tree. But it was not its size that made the tree so special. Its branches had a magic unlike anything else, a voice without words. In ordinary sunlight, it appeared to be quite an ordinary tree. But when someone sat under its branches and told a story from their heart, the leaves would begin to flutter and dance. Slowly, and then with great ease, they would form into pictures and scenes from the story. The children in Ainsley loved to sit under that giant tree and look up into its branches. At first, the shapes seemed simple, just basic figures. But as one delved deeper into the leaves and the spaces between the leaves, the curls and twists of characters and scenes would be revealed in spectacular detail. Whole villages could be seen at work in its branches with increasing refinement. A tiny mouse jumping from branch to branch the parry and thrust of a bull's horn the immensity and depths of a dragon's scales scenes within scenes within scenes in the fall leaves of every color and shape trickled down from its branches and danced in the wind forming a mosaic of each tale that was told even the birds that flit among its branches seemed to fit into the folds of those majestic stories. It was a feast for the eyes, and so it became a feast for the storytellers in that town. For in time, the people of Ainsley gave rise to better and better storytellers. Festivals were held throughout the year, and the greatest orators were invited. Children scrambled for a front-row view. Parents stood in back on tiptoes, smiling in memory of when they too were young. And the stories were magnificent. Ainsley had always been a town of storytellers, and from their children were selected, generation after generation, the greatest of the great. Samuel Moss told knightly tales, full of magic, steel, and adventure. Great-haired Susan described colors and shapes that few could imagine. Old Man Hillock plucked words from the branches like musical notes. The tree bended its branches, cupped its leaves, and wiggled its roots in the earth, giving color and contour to the words of these beloved storytellers. Well, one small day, as the winter festival was approaching, a little girl named Annabelle was sitting with her mother in the kitchen. The smell of fresh-baked bread began to drift from the oven, and a small fire crackled in a corner. It was warm. It was bright. It was home. Mom, she asked, can you tell me a story? Oh, said her mother, powdered from head to foot in flower. I can take you to the storytelling tree later this afternoon. Charlie Peets is telling today, and he has a wonderful story about a train. I've heard you can see it weaving through the branches. Neat, said Annabelle, staring into the fire. But can you tell me a story now? Mrs. Radigan clapped her hands on her apron, releasing a puff of flour. Then watched as it sank to the floor. It had never quite occurred to her to tell a story. Like everyone in Ainsley, her whole life had been filled with stories—beautiful stories told by incredible storytellers—all under the charm of that enchanting tree. A story at home seemed to pale in comparison. "Please, Mom," repeated Annabel. "Couldn't you tell me just one?" Mrs. Radigan scrunched her eyes. She could certainly recall many marvelous stories, but none, she thought, that she could retell on her own. No, said Mrs. Radigan, untying her apron with a sense of finality, I don't think I can. Mrs. Radigan could see the disappointment in Annabelle's face, but she knew that an afternoon under the storytelling tree would cheer them both up, and of course it did. The day of the winter festival arrived soon after. Storytellers from all over had gathered in Ainsley to tell their most exotic tales. Annabelle and her mother watched as fires were kindled around the great tree and cups of hot cider passed from hand to hand. Soon everyone's attention turned to the gifted speakers beneath that magic tree. With no leaves on its branches, the tree appeared cold and empty. But as the storytellers gave voice, The spaces between the branches began to shift like lace and take on beautiful forms. From her seat, Annabelle watched as the characters and scenes came alive with intricate features and a subtle, transfixing beauty. Wonder. Elegance. A poetry of shapes. Yet it was more than mere shapes. Light sparkling off the frost in the branches, gave rise to phantasmagoria of unparalleled richness. Cathedral ceilings could be seen in its branches, rivers of stone and ice, thousands of shades of blue. The tree had a way of twisting its branches so that light from the sun was bent through the frost like a prism, immersing the entire audience in dazzling pinpricks of color and movement. The whole tree seemed to shake and drip with color, filling each story with a sparkling, gem-like quality. Wafts of smoke from the fires, kindled as they were with the fallen branches of the tree, moved like pixies through the stories, adding depth and mystery to every image. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, said old man Hillock. The tree gives them voice, said Lady Grey. Storytellers in Ainsley were a special breed. They worked year-round to craft the most alluring stories possible, in the hopes that they would one day be told under that magnificent tree in front of the entire town. Such was the creative power of the tree that a great many storytellers were formed, men and women who traveled the world sharing stories first honed under the bricolage of that peculiar tree. But Annabelle wasn't satisfied. Why aren't you a storyteller? she asked her mother on the way home from the winter festival. Why do we listen to old man Hillick and Great Haired Susan, and not you? If you were a storyteller, then I could listen to stories whenever I wanted. If I was a storyteller, said Mrs. Radigan, you would never eat dinner. And that was partly true, because storytellers in Ainsley spent all their time making stories, not food. But if you were a storyteller, we could eat anything we wanted, said Annabelle. And that was partly true, too, because storytellers were prized and often very wealthy. Springtime in Ainslie brought the children's festival. This was the one time in the year that children were invited to speak under the branches of the storytelling tree, a rare chance to see fledgling storytellers come to life. Amid the gently falling blossoms and fresh green leaves, the moment had an impressive beauty. Children worked on their stories all year with the hope of being recognized by the crowds, the judges, and especially by the tree. For the winner of the children's festival was apprenticed to the masters, a great honor. Only after many long years of study were some, and not all, of the apprentices recognized as true masters of the craft. The competition was fierce. It was under the blossoming tree that spring that Annabelle sat practicing her story. And then... The lion crept out from behind the boulder, and, and... She broke off. The image in the tree had barely formed anything but a rough outline of something that looked vaguely like a dog. I'm not good at this, she sighed. I'm just like my mom. Lady Grey happened to be nearby, preparing for the evening story hour. She saw the disappointment hanging in the branches of the tree, and when she walked up, she found Annabelle sitting on its roots. She smiled, recalling her own youth, and offered a kind word. Remember, she said, all you have to do is tell a story from your heart. The tree will give you voice. Annabelle looked at her and smiled. She loved Lady Grey's stories. Then something funny happened. The tree sneezed. Lady Grey looked surprised. Annabelle giggled. Thousands of white and pink blossoms drifted slowly beside them, landing softly on their heads and shoulders, the ground, and nestling into the crooks between roots. Annabelle couldn't believe her eyes. She stared into the face of Lady Grey, lips parted in wonder. It felt as if the tree had given them a big hug. That evening, as Mrs. Radigan was putting soup on the table, Annabelle rushed in and told her mother what had happened. Mom, you wouldn't believe it, she said. The tree sneezed, the storytelling tree. There were petals everywhere. It was so funny. And mom, guess what? You know what Lady Grey said? What, said her mother, laughing at Annabelle's excitement. She said that all you have to do is tell a story from your heart. That's more important than anything else. More important than dinner, said Mrs. Radigan. Oh, Mom, said Annabelle. Mrs. Radigan happened to be setting a bowl on the table that very instant. Suddenly she paused and glared into the distance. It was as if she was seeing something that wasn't there. What is it? asked Annabelle. She glanced at the bowl awkwardly balanced between her mother's hand and the table. Suddenly it dropped with a thud and Mrs. Radigan turned to her daughter. Let's try it, she said. There was once a little girl who lived in a soup bowl, said Mrs. Radigan. She carved a canoe out of a carrot and rowed herself onto a potato. Using a toothpick, she made a little flag and claimed the island as her home. That's funny, smiled Annabelle. A week later, Annabelle sat under the blossoming tree once again, scanning the crowd for her mother and feeling more than a little nervous. The boy beside her smiled confidently. My name is Moses, he said. My father is Samuel Moss, and I'm going to win this year. Annabelle smiled shyly. She didn't think she would win. Finally, Annabelle locked eyes with her mother in the crowd and smiled. Remember, mouthed Mrs. Radigan over the crowd, a story from your heart. Just then, a pink blossom fell into Annabelle's hand and a sudden sense of calm spread over her. She listened as the other children got up and told their stories one by one under the branches of the great tree. It was clear that many of them had practiced long and hard. The pictures in the branches were graceful and bright. Off to one side sat the judges, Old Man Hillock, Great-Haired Susan, and Lady Gray. From their expressions it was evident that this would be an exceptional year. The tree seemed to shine. Finally, Moses Moss was called up for his turn. It was obvious that he had his father's talent. He told a long and exciting tale about a man in a raft who fought a raging battle with a sea monster, only to be pulled into the depths of the ocean and saved by a clever mermaid. Throughout the story, the branches undulated with the movement of water. Countless sea creatures could be seen within the leaves. Annabelle watched in astonishment. The audience erupted in applause when Moses finished, a finale in which the sea parted in two and the happy couple strode like royalty to the shore. The judges beamed. Surely he would get the best marks. That really was an incredible story, Annabelle said when he returned. Thanks, said Moses. I've been working on it a long time. The two smiled. I really mean it, said Annabelle. As the crowd quieted down, a voice was heard over the murmurs. "Annabel Radigan. Annabel stood up. Good luck, said Moses. Thanks, said Annabel. She walked humbly to her place as the crowd grew silent. She felt small and shy under the great tree, but once again she caught her mother's eyes. She felt the pink blossom in her hand and smiled. I was going to tell a story about a lion, she said twisting her foot on the ground. It was a good story, but it wasn't really a story from my heart. Lady Grey smiled. The crowd looked at Annabelle. It was a funny way to begin. So, this story is about a little girl, Annabelle said. She looked up and paused. She lived in a soup bowl, and she loved her mother very much. Mrs. Radigan chuckled. But sometimes her mother was busy continued Annabelle. So her mother gave her a story. It wasn't a big story. It wasn't even a great story, but it was her story. And with it, the little girl traveled the soup bowl in a little canoe she had carved from a carrot. And wherever she went, she carried her mother with her because she had her story inside. Annabelle paused. The crowd listened with anticipation the end, said Annabelle. Annabelle stood for what seemed like a long time. Suddenly the silence was broken by a sneeze in the crowd. Bless you, said Annabelle, and blossoms began to rain down upon her shoulders and everyone gathered. A feeling of warmth filled them from the inside, and the judges glared in astonishment. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, said old man Hillock. The tree gives her voice, said Lady Grey. A tear drifted down Mrs. Radigan's cheek. That evening, as Annabelle and her mother walked home, they held hands and smiled. That was a beautiful story, said her mother. I guess so, said Annabelle. But Moses really should have won. His story was much longer and better. You know, said Mrs. Radigan. I think you taught us something. It's just like Lady Grey said, All you have to do is tell a story from the heart. Don't you think the tree agreed? Sort of, said Annabelle. But you know what I think? What, said her mother. I think the best stories aren't really about the stories, said Annabelle. They're about what happens to people when they tell them. That summer, something happened that no one in Ainsley could remember happening before. The storytelling tree bore fruit. In early summer, they found apricots hanging in the low branches. A few weeks later, a child spied cherries up high. The townspeople brought ladders and baskets, and kids climbed into its branches to stuff their cheeks. It wasn't long after that that they began telling stories. Soon they discovered plums and peaches, and three different kinds of nectarines. Annabelle was the first to find figs, after which she told a long, rambling story about a chipmunk with a golden stripe. There were pears and pomegranates in the fall, and twelve different kinds of apples. There were pine cones and chestnuts, walnuts and acorns, little maple seeds that blew in the wind like helicopters. It was one of the most joyful summers anyone could remember. And that fall, the Ainsley tree died. No one knew why it happened. Some thought it had lived out its purpose. Others believed it had grown old and tired. Gone to seed, said old man Hillock, not without a smile. He and other master storytellers tried to conjure its branches back to life, but no image would appear in its limbs. In time, people began to doubt that the storytelling tree had ever existed. It was just a legend, they said, something that parents told their kids. But thanks to Annabelle and the other children, its seeds were not only planted in the earth, but in their hearts. Long after the tree had toppled and worn away, people could still be found in twos and threes, sitting under the branch of a maple, a pine, a peach. They told stories from their hearts, simple stories. And though their stories rarely rivaled the masters of old, they knew, just like Annabelle knew, that the best stories, like the great storytelling trees, come to life not in the words, but in the loving connection between the people who share them. Hi everyone. We hope you enjoyed the story. This is season two of our podcast and we're doing it a little differently. Here's how it works. A story comes first so that listeners with little children can access them easily. In just a second, you'll have a chance to listen to part two, where Silka and I give a little background and perspective on the story. Our goal is to inspire you. We love telling stories, but we love it even more when you feel empowered to tell your own. You may find inspiration in the stories. You may find something of value in the discussion. Whatever strikes you, let that be your guide to opening your own voice, like a beautiful flower blossoming after a long drink in the summer sun.
1: Good morning, Joe. Thank you for sharing the storytelling tree with us. It's a beautiful image to see this tree in the center of that village and all the human beings that you described so thoughtfully and the way they are connecting through storytelling. Tell us, what brought you to choose the tree as the central image?
0: Yeah, you know, this story... um Somebody uh, a year or so ago, uh, one of our readers uh, reflected back. They had appreciated the book and had asked, you know, what what if you tried to say this in the form of a story directly, um, rather than as a you know kind of instructional book? And I thought that was a great challenge. That's what inspired me to to try, and um, I I kind of hit on that central image of the story, which is often a way that I will, um, kind of enter a story. And, and for me, it has, I mean, it, it has a lot of different meanings, but, um, I wanted to come up with an image that was friendly (laughs) and welcoming, um, and, and didn't, uh, doesn't bring up a certain sort of conflict, uh, in our, in our minds, you know, as soon as you talk about a TV or a video or a something that presents images, uh, most of us can't help but go to, you know, it just brings up different things for us. So I was looking for a somewhat universal, somewhat magical um, and let's say heartwarming image that could uh, bring to mind this idea of seeing a story, but in a way that, uh, yeah, doesn't bring in, uh, all the things associated with a screen.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's nice because I think no matter what background we have, no matter what cultural background or economic background we experience, we can all relate to that tree. And, uh, when I was a young child, I would draw trees that had leaves, that had eyes. <laughs> and on that note, I also want to say, young children, uh, that connection to the tree and coming together around that tree, is a, it's such a beautiful image. And to think, actually to think about what would it be like if we all would come to this place where in the afternoon, after we'd done our morning chores, we would walk with our children into the village and we knew that somebody would tell a tale. And that the, the characters in themselves would be like the human beings show themselves in the way they tell the story. And you made, you did, it was really amazing how you described the different people and how they all had different storytelling skills and what really touched my heart was that you arrived um with our little Annabelle and I could so relate to her Is feeling like everybody is a better storyteller than Mm -hmm. me and I could relate to her mother I don't have time I don't have time. Other people have way more time to do this. I, I can't. And shying away, finding excuses, falling back on everybody else. Like, let's just go to a storytelling tree. Everybody else can tell you a story. And then how you um, spoke about how this little girl really just wanted to connect with her mama.
0: Yeah, that, that was a major piece. Again, I from my point of view, that's the essential message of, of how to tell stories to children. Um, and I think a lot of people get that. And I think some people maybe look at it a little bit as a manual of like how to create narratives. Um, and so in this story, I wanted to emphasize that aspect that, uh, we, we recognize, I recognize, I'm intimidated by a lot of the wonderful stories out there and storytellers that come to us in all these different forms. And that's why I wanted to bring in the tree. Um, because nowadays when we talk about stories, a lot of times we're thinking about books, we're thinking about, um, certain storytellers, we're thinking about videos or movies or things. We're thinking about all these different media in which stories come into our awareness. And, um, that's kind of the magnificence, um, and the power of the tree and, and the tree even, in some sense, creates the storyteller because the tree is there. It, uh, you know, there's this this process in the story whereby the villagers, there's this idea of kind of the best of the best. There is there is this competitive element in it, right? A little bit, um, and therefore Annabelle, her mother, the average folks, it's as if they forget to tell stories. It's as if they think this tree is so magnificent and the storytellers are so magnificent. Why would we tell stories anymore? Because we can access this beautiful way of, of of storytelling in our lives. And my hope in the story was to help us remember through the eyes of Annabelle and her mother, that storytelling is, quite a bit more than the repetition of a narrative it's the sharing of an experience it's a method of creating connection and that's something that I well I I know I care about that (laughs) that's that's important to me in my life with children also with adults and I think that it's something that Sometimes, as parents, um, just as humans in our lives, we sometimes miss those connections. Uh, Sometimes we get together and we, you know, there's a lot of ways that we connect in the world, and there's a lot of ways in which um, sometimes we we miss that human connection and one reason is we have all this tremendous stuff. We have all these tremendous and incredible stories, right? If it's in the evening and we want to kind of relax from our work day or our school day and hear a story, I mean, what the most of us think of, I think without even saying it, we all know what, what comes to our minds and it makes sense. I get it too. But what I think we want in those moments, or at least in some of those moments, is we want that human connection. We want to feel connected with our loved ones. And I, I strongly believe that storytelling does that for us.
1: Yeah, thank you. I would like to go to, to a place of exploration that has to do a little bit with a cultural experience. And I have to go there because I grew up in a village in Germany, And our village was, in comparison to America in the time I grew up in, probably not as developed. Like, I was seven years old when I had the first TV in my living room, and I remember that. And um, many people, it took a while for TVs to arrive. People had radios, but there was still an element of coming together in the village, partially through church, but then through celebration. And they actually didn't have much of a competitive element to them because it was part of a communal awareness, you could say. And if you wanted to participate in the community, you would share a story about yourself or a story that would come to mind. And I was very well aware as a young child how some people are very open with stories and others are really holding back. Or there are those that always have like the dark stories of doomsay stories. And when I came to America, what I realized was in the absence of a living village community, what happened was that in the isolation, I think... We started to, like, say we bring in the stories, like it's almost like at night we turn on the TV, we we open the doorways to have a village experience through many stories that are coming in. And, And yet there is sometimes the absence of human beings because we are, we're living more isolated in these times, I would say. And... Then we are also experiencing that, um, yeah, stories are being rated for being good or being better. And in the kindergarten, when I taught in America, I realized that very often we are already training children to say, if you tell a good story, you get a prize. Or if you're going to tell such a good story that one day you're going to be a Hollywood movie star. And it's something we prize so high. Or if you sing, you have to right away sing on stage. You don't... We have lost a little bit this ability to sing just for the fun of it. Mm -hmm. We have also lost a little bit the ability to tell a story just for the fun of it. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, to just create that heart connection. Um, So when, when that is... It's actually a part of a village reality, of a healthy living village reality. And in our times of more isolation, I think we bring in more of the competitive element and we bring in things that maybe are becoming hindrances. But it doesn't mean we can't dissolve them. And I think every time we start telling a story to connect... Or every time we listen to our child that says, Tell me a story, actually, in that moment when your child says, Tell me a story, you know, as a parent, there is something magical happening. My child wants to connect with me. Mm-hmm. If a child doesn't ever say that and always asks, Please turn on the television, then it's time for us to pay attention.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I know that, I know that competitive element. I know that, um, because we've, I I can recall in the past talking about that a little bit with you and I, and I recognize that it's not, it's funny. I think, I mean, you know, in this story, my sense was that I needed that central image of the tree to draw us in. It's actually, it's comfortable. Um, It's, it actually doesn't present this internal conflict. But throughout, throughout the story, Annabelle and her mother, I mean, they go through the process where actually they let go of the tree. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the tree draws us in mm-hmm. and, and there's a way in which we then come to focus on this element, right? There's this competition and it's even a competition for the children. and We know that this competition also exists for the, for the master storytellers. And frankly, I do think we see this in real life today. You know, I mean, this is this this is what authors, this is what screenwriters and cartoonists, animators, blah blah blah. You know, um, sometimes we say that to to artists, right? Children when they're young, when they when they draw really well. Oh, you, you know, your drawings are so beautiful. Maybe you'll be an artist when you grow up. You know, what do we mean when we say those things, right? Oh, you know, you're such a good storyteller. I bet. You know, when you're older, I mean, in a way they're, they're inspiring, they are, but you're right. We do turn it, it sort of into this um, professional, um, somewhat competitive and somewhat uh, like there's an expert level um, that we sometimes ascribe the stories that we connect with to, you know, like JK Rowling is esteemed for a good reason because she's better. (laughs) <laughs> or let's say, maybe, maybe not, right? But, but that's a common way that we might think of it, you know, like, whoa, she's just an, she's, a, she's a writer of exquisite talent, right? Um, as, as are others. So we see that in our lives. And yet, of course, we don't want to be trapped in it. And so I, I, I actually just, I brought that in purposefully in this story so that we could face it a little bit, maybe I, I was hoping in a gentle way, right? And face it that actually this is what we do as humans. And, I, and I, I strongly believe this. I mean, you and I had this workshop just whatever, a few days ago and where we encountered many teachers, also parents who just reported, it was almost as if they, they hardly wanted to consider or hadn't previously considered telling their own stories and, and largely because they doubted, they were so full of their own self-doubt and so, you know, partly so overwhelmed by the skill of others that it, it, it almost would not occur to them to tell a story because of course they're going to find better stories in a book, you know? And that was always their orientation to storytelling was, well, I'll find the right one from these you know, these experts out there, they get paid to do this. I just, I take them and then I, I read them, you know, or, or whatever it might be. Of course, we don't think it through that way, but that is kind of the reality. And th- this is sort of <laughs> the de facto situation that we've arrived at in our lives. And yet, I strongly believe that as humans, you know, and as parents and teachers, we're, we're, we're really craving these human interactions in our lives more and storytelling i mean it is it is quite literally an evolved skill that humans developed 60,000 some years ago in order to share these social relationships it's 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 it that's very real that's a very real thing and it's in us and we've come in this modern world to sometimes, we doubt that we ourselves are storytellers because we're so surrounded by these experts, right? These storytelling trees and these incredible storytellers are, I mean, in fact, they're, they're in our homes. They're beamed into our homes <laughs> on a daily basis. Um, They're in our books, they're in our podcasts, they're in our whatever. And they are great, right? It's not a criticism. They they are legitimately good. But if we allow that to kind of quash this storytelling relationship that we have with our own children, with our friends, with our loved ones, I think we come to miss out on something because we're not not just walking the earth looking for good stories. Actually, it's richer than that. We're looking for human connection. And that comes about through these experiences of sharing stories. And so we can't reduce our our story listening and our storytelling merely to receiving them kind of from, you know, rather disembodied experts Right, we don't we don't actually personally know J.K. Rowling or whoever it might be that's that's writing and animating and whatever the, the 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 stories that we're getting. It is wonderful that we receive them that way, but we also want the people. We want that people connection, and that's what I think Annabelle and and her mother help us remember.
1: Yeah, I think it's. Um... I think there is an inflation, an inflation of stories. And what happens is there is so many stories all the time. They're in books, they're in the radio, they're in the TV. And again, I'm going to come back to when I was in kindergarten as a child. We had five picture books and they were all behind a glass case. <laughs> and when it was somebody's birthday and there were 30 children of us, all from the same village, and we got to pick one of those storybooks. And and they were read to us. And, and on other times, um, it was stories that were being told. And... They had also very much to do with our village and with our surroundings. They were there was folk songs that were still part of it. So it kind of as young children centered us in our own village. That was our world. Today the world is uh, already for young children. Oftentimes uh, we bring in, you know, whatever, so much information from so far away. And yet we don't actually know what the tree outside of our house is being called. And so storytelling is also, it's a way of coming home to who, what is in my surrounding, what animals, if I pay attention to my surroundings, would come into the story. Um, Who are the human beings that impact me, that are my people you could say who Mm -hmm. are my people who is my village to explore that with children i think is so wonderful and i think many adults nowadays um, are going to therapy to actually uncover that storyteller within them because that lost once we lose the trust in telling the story we realize we lost something. And perhaps that's where storytelling will come back because once we realize we lost it, we're like, wow, we want to find that again. And in teacher trainings, when teacher trainings have uh, forgotten to actually tell teachers that being able to tell a story is po- it's important, it's so important it's actually more important than your abc right now in these early formation years what will it take that even teacher trainings school systems that we become aware that this is such an important tool yeah you know that we come back to our own human self and that every child knows when a teacher is authentically present it is the greatest gift because this child will all throughout their life look for authentic teachers.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, boy, there's just so much here, you know. And and,
1: um, I, 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 let me just go one more time back to. I, I would like to say, is this not? I'm when I say looking for authentic teacher. Authenticity and storytelling, go hand in hand. So when we just always read the stories of that someone else wrote or someone else recorded, and we never tell our own stories, we can actually lose a part of our authenticity. Mm. And this is so much a part of what we want to do. And the storytelling tree in the end with Annabelle, when she told her story from the heart it was tapping into her authenticity she was herself she let go of the fear of what her friend moses would say and in this moment there was a transformation that you so beautifully exclaimed uh, explained in the way the tree changed
0: yeah yeah i think sometimes i think that's exactly right when we look at it from the point of view of children right Sometimes, right, we can sort of regret sometimes when our, our children, like their language is so um, full of phrases and sayings and themes that, they, that they've quite obviously are repeating from, from stories, from other stories that they've received. Sometimes we feel that way, right? Um, not because we dislike those stories, but because we wanna see them. Right, we, we're like, hey, hey, those are great, but I don't want you. I I want my child to speak her own story, to own who she is, and 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 share that, and have the skill of speaking it. Um, I think you see that in a lot of women's work also happening today, right? Is is sharing your your real story and not repeating uh, themes or things that have been kind of Uh, repeated in our culture for many years right and so we want to see that in our children well how do we evoke that in our children we have to teach them not only that sharing their stories and their authentic voice is important we have to model it because if I spend all my time also repeating other people's stories and poetry and blah 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 um, it is wonderful of course that's wonderful, but we can't neglect to share that authentic voice uh, of our own. And, and, and that, that was another piece that I really wanted in this story is, um, and I do hope if you're listening, maybe you feel some inspiration here. I was hoping to give a central image that was easy for people to connect with in the tree. And even at the beginning there, I give a little bit of language around, oh, you know, story trees are everywhere. You just have to know how to find them. Um, Because even with, you know, all the trappings of modernity, who doesn't, you know, lay down and look up underneath a tree and see the leaves and the branches and how they're moving and just feel a sense of wonder? because there's so much to see there. And that that was that was that was where I originally pulled in this image of this tree that very, you know, purposefully creates these clear images. Yeah. But when you lay under a tree and look at the branches, it just kind of blows your mind. You know? And yet we, sometimes we don't take the time to do that. But when we do, we, we almost universally we just feel this sense of wonder. And if we can sit there under a tree, with our child, and share a little story, a brief story, while we're gazing up at those branches. I wanted to give that uh, idea because it's a very simple takeaway, um, and and I I hope that that some people do hear that story and go, oh yeah, let's go find the storytelling tree in our backyard or in our neighborhood. That was another. Um, you know, central idea that I was trying to work with in the story.
1: Yeah, and there is a seasonality to the tree that also speaks to seasonality in our own life. There's also time for us to go to that tree and express our stories of sadness. Mm -hmm. It's also a time when we're super frustrated and angry and we just feel like we need a place that even it's safe for ourselves to find a way to express that story, and so when we come into that relationship with this, let's say, the story tree, we find that um, in times also of grief and loss, we can see that there is a place that we that can hold us, and it can anchor us, and um, and help us to basically. Live our life in this way of ex- experiencing all these different aspects of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think you know we sometimes speak about how different objects or places or things can can kind of embody a story for us. And I think that if we do that, right? If we if we regularly sit underneath this particular tree, we even give it a name, we call it the storytelling tree, and we sit there, you know, our children will, they'll recognize it. That whenever they see that tree, whenever they connect with it, the, the, those stories begin to live in the tree. We, we, we come to associate the place, uh, the living being, with these stories and not just with the stories, but the sweetness of those moments and connection. Because when we lay with that, that level of wonder under a tree and listen to our loved ones truly put everything else aside and just sit there and share their story, share their time with us, uh, these are precious experiences in life. And, and those memories are associated with that place. Mm-hmm. And it and, and it and it it becomes its own draw. We go, oh, let's go to the storytelling tree yeah. because because that's what we want to do. We want we want to connect. Yeah. and we know how to do it there. Mm-hmm. It, it's a it becomes a symbol for mm-hmm.
1: us. Yeah. and helps us to grow rooted mm-hmm. and also uh, experience this beautiful possibility to fly with our imagination into places that would be hard to go to just in reality and so um yeah it's it's amazing thank you for sharing such a beautiful story with us joe and uh, for our listeners i wish to that you get inspired to yeah think about your own storytelling tree your community your own authentic voice and explore that
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the ultimate invitation. And to just drop the, any, any of those ideas that, that you might have that you're not good enough or there's other things that are better. Or, you know, you don't have to drop them. You don't have to, like, reject that. You can sort of welcome it in and just let it be a little bit. But, um, but do it anyway. Do it anyway and explore what it's like to tell stories with your children under a tree. Yeah, just wish you good luck and good experiences in that way. And everything that we, we share, our stories, our talks, our everything, is always geared toward that end. Um, we really wish to invite you to have that direct experience for yourself because we know that it's, uh, it's just so powerful and it's so uplifting. And we love that. We love that when that happens for people. So, yeah. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to How to Tell Stories to Children, a bi-weekly podcast from the authors of How to Tell Stories to Children, now in 19 languages. Our goal is to help
0: parents, teachers, and grandparents connect heart-to-heart with kids.
1: You can find this podcast as well as upcoming webinars, events, our blog, stories, and more at HowToTellStoriesToChildren.com and on our Facebook page
0: you will also find the entirety of season one, which gives more background and perspective on a variety of storytelling topics.
1: You can also submit questions and ideas. We like to hear from you.
0: If you value this podcast, we invite you to consider making a contribution to keep it alive. The proliferation of free podcasts, articles, and resources on the web makes it easy to forget that real people are behind the work. It means a lot to us when you take the time to rate, review our book, this podcast, or share it with a friend. And if you're able, your financial gifts at patreon.com slash how to tell stories to children. Make it possible for us to continue calling out the storytelling voice in other parents, teachers, and grandparents.
1: Together, we can spread the intimacy and joy of storytelling one family at a time.